Coming up on episode 48 of the Up Full Life podcast. And I think the groundwork was laid with a fantastic New Year's run in 2019. 30-minute uh, tweezer on December 30th, uh, 2019. Um, that, that whole run was really uh, above what, uh, you know, I'm a New York City guy, so New Year's run is, is my jam, and that one was really next level. Um, I didn't go to Mexico in February of 2020, but um, from watching from home, those, those shows seemed to continue that um that nice level but i mean when you get the second night of tour this this past summer you're playing a carini that's not only 23 minutes or however long it was but explored some fantastic soundscapes and and new territory and i i feel like they have definitely evolved and they definitely did level level up this summer so obviously Axel's paying tribute to Biz Marquis. Right. Now he goes into a story. Like it's like holy toledo. I mean, okay, so While here he's you go. sitting at the piano. So how about this? It's just as exciting to get a story from Axel Rose during a concert as it is to get the Mockingbird or the Harpua. <laughs> To the Upful Life Podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz, and this is episode number 48, coming at you live and direct from my mom's crib in Margate. Been riding waves, eating tuna hoagies, hanging with Lucy the Elephant. Life is good, and we are so grateful. You are tuning in. Episode 48 is brought to you by all the incredible blogs and message boards and internet sites that are part of the Jam Diaspora, the live music community that we know and love. We'll be talking a little bit about that today and talking a little bit about the fish from Vermont and it was taking me back to the embryonic roots and genesis not only is me a journalist in this space but just in general how pivotal and vital the early message boards of you know okay player the lesson or in the jam space fish.net or websites like gadiel.com backslash fish and of course jambase.com go see live music and then move into the blog era and later 
my family currently live for live music, carrying on these same traditions. And message boards kind of went by the wayside with the advent of social media, but fish.net is still pretty vibrant. And though I stay away from Fantasy Tour, that also played a huge role in this evolution. And bloggers like Mr. Minor and writers like Benji Eisen and Jesse Jarno. And of course, one of my guests today, Scotty B, Scott Bernstein, or a Dennis Cook, or an Aaron Case, or a Deanne Herman. The list goes on. All these folks and all these sites played pivotal roles in the evolution of the jam community, the music, how the media covers it, supports it, emboldens it, discusses it, etc. So I wanted to kick things off for this very The Fish from Vermont-centric episode of the Up Full Life podcast with a nod to the message boards and websites that paved the way for people like me, Scotty B, and at this point, hundreds more. Before we get started on episode 48, I'd just like to ask folks to please subscribe to the Up Full Life podcast. Smash that subscribe button on your podcast platform of choice. Or, if you're so inclined and have the time, please rate and review the Up Full Life podcast, preferably on Apple Podcasts, but really any podcast platform. Reviews go a long way to moving the algorithms in this direction and bringing new listeners to the Up Full Life podcast. So really appreciate all the wonderful, beautiful, touching reviews we've collected thus far. You can also support the work that I do with the Up Full Life podcast and my music, media, culture reporting in general uh, by contributing to my Patreon page patreon.com backslash upfullife. I'll send you some stickers and you'll get a bunch of hard to find music that's special to me. I keep it tucked away on the Upful Life Patreon page. You can contribute a couple dollars a month, whatever is clever. We are so grateful and so appreciative. And lastly, if you just want to holler at your boy, you can send me an email b.getz at upfullife.com b.getz at upfullife.com feedback constructive criticism suggestions connections what have you we appreciate all the energy and now let's get into episode 48 Yep, you heard that right. 
the fish from Vermont, on the Upful Life Podcast, episode 48. You might be asking yourself, really dude? A whole podcast about fish, but nobody from fish, or even tangentially connected to the band on the show? As I'm prone to say, yes indeedy. As some uh, people may know and others may not, I was a hardcore tour kid for many, many years with the fish. My whole world revolved around the fish, my social circle, my calendar. It, it just, where they went, I tried to go as often as possible for a really long time. And I wrote a little something about this relationship I have with the band that I'm going to read in between interviews. But I just wanted to, to just... As a disclaimer, uh, just acknowledge, you know, that they're a huge part of my life, always have been, and even though I'm not as hardcore as I once was, I still like to think of myself as uh, an organism in the greater community. So with that, uh, I'm coming to you live and direct from Margate, New Jersey, but just as a hop, skip, and a jump from Atlantic City, where Fish just wrapped up their uh, mini summer tour, or the first leg, if you will, and who knows what's going to happen with Tahoe and the Gorge and the forest fires out west. Of course, I'm well-versed in that as I live in the Bay Area and spent many years in Grass Valley. Um, So I want to send thoughts and prayers and all the love and energy to all folks affected by the fires. And whether or not Fish plays these shows really doesn't mean shit. But that said... They did play a bunch of shows, and I was really taken by uh, their leveling up in the summer of 2021. And I'm not exactly sure why or how it came to be, because they had 17 months off, plus all the drama and, and fear and craziness of the pandemic and whatever the hell else happened during the past year and a half. And for them to hit the ground running and find their stride like night two so zero to hundred real quick that they kind of plateaued towards the end by the time they got to AC. But we still got three fantastic shows as far as I'm concerned. Uh, And before that, there were a number of great shows and great jams and just, you know, seemingly new beginnings, even with very old songs. And I wanted to chop it up and break it down with people that I love talking fish with. One uh, digitally, and one for the better part of 30 years of my life. So we're going to talk with Scotty B, Scott Bernstein, uh, the main man running the show, driving the ship at jambase.com for several years now, and for that with Hidden Track, and of course he's the guy behind Yem blog. He's one of the most respected and and appreciated and treasured voices and humans in the fish communities. Chronicled the band for a real long time. So we're going to hear all about his his path and his journey as a journalist, as a fish fan, and his take on summer 2021. He was kind enough to holler back on really short notice and gave me a half an hour of his time. So we give thanks to Scotty B. And then, like I said, I'm going to read a little something and talk about a little something else. And then we're going to chop it up with my main man, 
J.A., Jason Abrams of the Rock and Wrestling Connection. He's been on the show to talk fish a long time ago, but uh, it's long overdue, my man J.A., so I'll give him his own proper introduction before he joins us, but for now, uh, we'll hear a whole lot from Scotty B., jambase.com on episode 48 of the Up for Life podcast. Yes, indeedy. all right well it is an honor and a privilege and a pleasure to speak with my guy scotty b scott bernstein from jambase.com also we know him from yem blog and he has deep roots writing about music in the jam scene and the fish scene so i had to track him down in this little gasp for air we have between ac and the west coast and just here a little bit of perspective by uh, somebody whose, you know, knowledge and and takes, you know, are some of my favorites uh, in the community. So thank you, Scotty B, for your time and the vine. Oh, I'm honored to to be here chatting it up with you. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a long time in the making, and we've been kind of in the same sphere of influence over the years. I really appreciate what you do. Uh, and the way you bring yourself and your voice and just a really uh, nuanced, human, authentic uh, perspective of a live music fan. So I just want to, from the outset, thank you for your service and your work and your energy. Oh, that means a lot coming from you, man. I, I, uh, I feel very similar about you and, and your work. So uh, that, that means a lot. Thank you. Right on, brother. Yeah, man. You know, we're just trying to tell the stories. And that's what kind of today's about. Most people probably know who you are, where you've been, what you do, but for those less initiated, I wanted to just kind of get the scoop. Uh, first, your, the genesis of your relationship with Fish, and also, how did you get involved with writing about you know, jam music, and then eventually end up you know, editor-in-chief at Jam Bass? Sure. Well, um, I went to a summer camp uh, for 10 years in northeastern Pennsylvania. And one summer I came back and all of a sudden my friends were into the Grateful Dead. I had barely heard of the Grateful Dead, let, let alone their music. And, um, you know, was was psyched to check out the music of the dead and, and certainly enjoyed what I heard. And these guys had a collection of like 50 bootleg tapes and they were all about listening to them once and then moving on to the next one and when they eventually ran out of debt new dead tapes to listen to they put on lawn boy by fish and i remember hearing reba and the bag it tag it chorus just caught my attention and I got home a few weeks later, and that was what stuck with me more than anything else I heard that summer, and went out the day I got back from camp and bought Lawn Boy. And I'll never forget where I was in my bedroom, pressing play, hearing the squirming coil come out, 
And by the end of the squirming coil, I was like, this is my jam. This is my thing. And just fell in love with the band. And it was at a time, uh, unfortunately for me, where Fish wasn't touring that fall because they were recording Hoist in California. Uh, This was 1993. Um, so that my first chance to see them came the following April when they played three nights at the Beacon Theater in New York City. And I was 16 at the time, tried to explain to my parents why I needed to see three nights of the same band <laughs> in a row. They weren't having it, especially on the school nights. Um, sure. But went to see the final night, the Friday night. Um and just had uh, a life-changing experience and it was the same thing they opened with llama and by the end of llama i was like i want to do this as much as, as possible that night the giant country horns came out during Susie oh greenberg still haven't seen the giant country horns play with fish since um and uh you know wound up seeing uh eight shows in 94 and just built from there and uh, i saw my 300th show uh, in 2019 um and met a lot of friends through fish and got involved with uh, a, a private message board um in the mid aughts um and through this message board, I met a guy named Slade Somer, who's at Slade on Twitter. And he ran a blog called, uh, uh, under the pseudonym Ace Cowboy um, and got asked by Glide Magazine. They wanted to start a blog off of their website call and asked Slade to start it. And he liked what I had written on this message board and thought I would be a good fit for this blog. So we got together, we plotted it out, we decided to call it Hidden Track and uh this was 2006 we launched it in 2006 the idea was that i'd contribute an article a week uh within two months i was contributing an article a day um really just loved it and loved i was always a big fan of the jam scene and uh, of fish and the surrounding bands and um you know, uh, he Slade had to um, was spending too much time on hidden track, and I had a job. Um, really weird situation, but it afforded me as much time as I needed to work on hidden track. And I think it was about 2008 or 2009 where Slade kind of handed me the keys and was like, "You, you, you take it over." And I ran a hidden track. Uh, and uh started you know covered fish came back in in 09 in 2011 i wanted to come up with an interesting way of covering the shows beyond just recaps and i'm a big sports guy a big stats guy and came up with the idea of the skinny of uh you know having a rundown of stats from every fish show um and started that with our fish coverage for Hidden Track in the summer of 2011. Um, a couple of years later, um, the jam base was in need of a editor of, of an editor. Um, I got into discussions with them, and I certainly wanted to do this full time and, and get paid for it after not getting paid for it for eight years. Um, 
and uh, in 2013 came on as editor, um, eventually became editorial director, and uh, that's where we are now with the uh, only side trip there being uh, when Fish was starting to come back, there was this explosion in content about the band. There were all these people digitalizing their analog tapes there were people starting blogs like mr minor there were videos on this new website called youtube going up Mm -hmm. and i had this dream one night where i saw this website that was just a hub to show off all this new content that was coming about um fish and I decided to start a site called You Enjoy My Blog, which very quickly became Yem Blog. And, um, and it, the idea at first was to have a website with just links to all of the content that was being created about fish. But what really caught on and what still resonates to this day um, is the Twitter feed. And uh, the biggest part of that was because when fish came back in Hampton in 2009. Um, Yemblog would... First it was me, and then I brought other people in to do it, contributors. We were sharing the set list and notes from the show as it happened. And Fish wasn't even doing that at the time. Uh, Fish from the Road didn't come around for a couple of years after that. And, uh, you know, and and, and ha- have a thousands of tens of thousands of followers on the mblog uh twitter and uh you know that that's been my foray really where i get to completely devote myself to fish because i don't want to turn jam base into a fish only site and it's certainly there's plenty of fish on jam base but um i i i want to have that separation there and that brings us up to where we are now Right on, dude. I mean, I ask a first question at the beginning of every podcast, and seldom is the response as thorough and check as many of the boxes as that one did. <laughs> awesome. So, really awesome, and great to kind of just give us the journey, because as you know, my roots in this thing are with Jambase. We had a little crossover time right when you got there, and uh, I'm really proud of Jambase. Like, I'm proud of my own history and association with them, and especially where you've taken it since you arrived. Um, it's really just an amazing site, super thorough, um, and, and has a lot of integrity and intention. And that's important to me. And I think it was a beautiful thing to experience the 20th anniversary with the old school crew and your era and, and with some musicians that have touched our lives. And it's funny because, you know, Andy Gadio founding the site, same situation. He had gadio.com backslash fish. And he needed to kind of maintain more of an egalitarian situation at, at Jambase. It couldn't be so fish heavy. And, and you were faced with a similar conundrum along the way. That's kind of ironic. And Absolutely. yeah, I think uh, our whole thing really rooted on message boards and the nascent internet free exchange of ideas and music. And that is really extrapolated into so many directions, all, you know, with what you do, with what I do. And, I, you know, it's, it, even though we don't only talk about fish, I mean, fish is the lifeblood. It is the, the, the organism that makes the whole thing uh, so vibrant. And so that's why I really think it's important to have uh, people in the community like yourself, just so dedicated, so passionate to, uh, you know, chronicling fishery 
And then you do it with, you know, everyone has their own lane. You know, you got stats guys, you've got emotional guys, you've got set list guys. And, you know, you're obviously you're all those things. And you're also the flips the desk guy. Um, so I just love uh, the role you play in the community and, and, you know, the voice you give to the passionate fan who, you know, uh, again, you're a big baseball cards guy, you're a big stats guy, and you bring that ethos, that mindset, that passion, that, you know, dedication uh, to chronicling live music in general, but especially fish. And that's why I wanted to talk to you today, because I'm really inspired by this summer tour. And before we get into the music itself, I was curious, your own take, obviously, we were on our computers a lot during the pandemic. We had the dinner and movie uh, series, which was incredible gift, keys to the Wayback machine, as I like to say. We also had the really un unparalleled, unrivaled, unprecedented Beacon Jam situation. And, and of course, you, you know, had the opportunity to sort of tell those stories online and also interact with fans way more and deeper, uh, more emotional. So I was curious what, if any, uh, changes or evolutions in the, like the tenor or vibe of the fan base, you know, as we came out of, I guess, the first pandemic uh, and got an opportunity to go to shows and, and see one another and experience the music together. D did you feel a, a shift of any kind? Um, I would say certainly we were there for each other when the pandemic first started. Um, and we were all missing live music and, and missing fish. And the dinner and a movie experience was so great. It was so nice to have something to look forward to, especially in the early days when it was every week and get, got to forget about the horrors of the pandemic for a few hours and, and reconnect and but I, I will say I feel like a lot of that amazing vibe and love has kind of was kind of lost um at the beginning of this fish tour you know be, because of there's people that were upset that certain people weren't masking and uh, with the whole people, anti-vaxxers versus vaxxers. So while I love what the band did um, over the first few weeks of this tour, I was a little turned off by the community, to be perfectly honest. That's a fair straight take. And, and I, you would know. You know, I have to say that that stuff that you referenced with regard to masking and vaccines has destroyed a number or uh, I shouldn't say destroyed, but has really uh, harmed multiple communities that I'm uh, a part of. Burning Man communities, festival communities, New Age, yoga, let alone what we've experienced with fish and then the jam scene macro. And, and yeah, you know, of course, we all because we're online we see what everyone has to say and thinks and you know we can argue to the cows come home whether or not social media is a gift or a curse but yeah i, I guess maybe like i just I, I saw it through rosier uh glasses because when i went to the shows or when i was communicating with people online uh, there was just a, a real vibrant like investment into the band again uh as in real time and 
you know, I had the opportunity to talk to different friends about their own experiences, veterans, people who have kind of strayed much like myself and found our way back because of the nostalgia that came over us through Dinner in a Movie and the incredible gift that was the Beacon Jams. But I, too, have been turned off. Maybe I'm just desensitized to the division. But uh, when and I it went sounds to like sh- you're better at at the signal to, to noise ratio. Um, okay, and I also think that in person it's a lot different, or like you know, over the phone talking with people. I'm just talking about you know my feed on Twitter or right. or Facebook. Um, and you know, I just I, I think it comes down to we all have different comfort levels with how we feel, and you just got to respect how what people how people feel, and I just to try to change them is just gonna not end well. You right. know, it's a it's an exercise in futility for yes. sure. I would agree, but let yeah, let, then we could talk about the music because that's what's really important. Absolutely, here. and and I for one uh, was so inspired and just kind of blown away by the the how rapidly they found their stride if anything maybe the tour they found it so fast that uh they didn't there was no much more higher they could take it after deer creek um but that said it's not like they fell off a cliff or anything it's just the highest of highs were early on and and again i'm curious because again i've i've left and come back i've always been a part of the community but not thumb on the pulse uh for the past decade, like yourself, uh, or longer, obviously, but for me, I've been kind of in, you know, touch and go with it since about 2013. And I came back strong for the aforementioned reasons and have been streaming every night and on Twitter and reading fish.net and you name it, and the skinny, of course. I wanted to just ask you, in your opinion, somebody who has been thumb on the pulse for as long as we can remember. Did they level up this summer, whether uh, with chemistry or uh, sound design or gear, um, or was it the playing? To me, and again, I didn't go to the Baker's Dozen, but that would be maybe the high bar that I would hold stuff against. Did you you feel a leveling up, uh, at least in the the first half of of the run? Absolutely. And I think the groundwork was laid with a fantastic New Year's run in 2019. Uh, 30-minute tweezer on December 30th, uh, 2019. Um, that that whole run was really uh, above what, uh, you know, I'm a New York City guy, so New Year's run is, is my jam. And that one was really next level. Um, I didn't go to Mexico in February of 2020, but um, from watching from home, those those shows seemed to continue that um, that nice level. But I mean, when you get the second night of tour this this past summer, you're playing a Carini that's not only 23 minutes or however long it was, but explored some fantastic soundscapes and and new territory and i i feel like they have definitely evolved and they definitely did level level up this summer i think that's a a great phrase and um you know the the two shows that i saw in person were alpharetta and i sure picked well um in my opinion those two shows were were just fantastic in not only just the improvisation but they played songs like foam with authority 
And that was something I felt was missing um, over the the the. 3.0 especially in in the the later years before 2021 was um because they were they didn't do any repeats at the baker's dozen or um in fall 2019 um they often would go without a net and without practicing clearly too much before playing a song and i felt like songs that like foam and destiny unbound this summer were just played with a power and ferocity um that was incredible to see and i think a big part of that was uh not being dependent on how big the repertoire was being open to playing free four times and each one got better um so there's something to be said for that. I, I love bust outs and rarities, you know, as as much as probably anyone. But I I think after pretty much anything is rare right, and a bust right. out after you haven't played for 17 months. And um, there is definitely something to be said for uh, being able to play a song really think it went well and then four nights later being able to go go at it again and take it somewhere else exactly exactly yeah and uh, you make a good point about a foam or a destiny uh there's uh there's a statement like it's it's subtle intentional statement to say like you know we're not just going for it like we've worked this out and remembered who we are and then at the same time uh the without a net stuff, the type two stuff, which, you know, frankly, that's always been my thing. I've never really been a stickler so much about how perfectly something was played. Now, when it's played awful, you know, that's that. But when they get to the jam spaces, whether it's traditional jam spaces in a Reba or a Bowie or the stuff we're talking about, this wide open stuff that happened in Carini or Simple or even a Blaze On, yeah. where they are so... I and mean, we talk type two, but they're in another stratosphere, sonically, musically. And, and that's what I was asking about the leveling up is I found myself, you know, I listen to a lot of the streams and headphones. So I'm getting all the clarity, all the nuance, uh, every last little bell and whistle. And I was just astounded by the confidence and the patience and the intention yeah. of these jams, you know, for a long time, people talk about this the length of jams, like Tahoe Tweezer or whatever you want to name. And, and sure, there's passages of all that stuff that are really dynamic. But what I noticed this summer, and again, I could just be late to the party, it seemed like the whole journey was intentional. Now, occasionally they may lost their way and kind of re discombobulate and find themselves again. But there was storytelling and intention and, and uh, sort of a beginning and ending point of these sojourns and i just found them to be so remarkable and really they single-handedly brought me back to the band on an every night basis because i wanted to know where the search for new land was headed next and and just you know who knows what got them there it's interesting that you say that they planted the seeds on that New Year's run in 2019, which is mostly remembered for the stuck platform. But yes, really strong four-night run. I haven't been to 
the garden since uh, the New Year's run in 2012. And ironically, that's the last time I really walked out of a show with my heart in my hands and my head in the stars was 12:30-12. But that happened to me on Saturday night in AC. Uh, just because I really just had the opportunity to surrender to the music without a care in the world. And they delivered, you know, that that uh, really vintage first set and then some really uh, ambitious uh, stuff in the second set. But maybe not what they did early in the tour in an Alpharetta or a Nashville 2 or a Deer Creek 1. But it was still remarkable and, and as good as anything I could remember in a very long time. But do you think that the time spent away from one another, okay, they plant those seeds on the New Year's run in 2019 and then uh, into 20 and then maybe in Mexico or what have you, and then they go their separate ways for 17 months. And sure, there were some link-ups at the Beacon Jams and guys stayed active in their own way. But that's why I asked about hitting the ground running is to connect that performance at the Garden and what we saw this summer. Uh it's just ridiculous, man. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Trey talked about during the Beacon Jams and during uh, the SPAC and Beacon Theater shows that he played in front of audiences before Fish Tour um, about how he would just spend his pandemic playing guitar and would even work with Jeff Tansky and meet in a safe place that they would just play music together all day. And I think that the four of those guys just spent a lot of time working on their craft over the pandemic and were able to hit the ground running. And I think we'd be remiss if we don't talk about Paige McConnell, who was the MVP in, in sure. my opinion, and really has such a huge rig at this point and made exceptional use of all of the different instruments within his rig um over the course of those jams um especially the new uh moog synthesizer yes just some of the tones that he was was getting out of that i i know you you picked up um our jam basis ceo david onigman um who's uh davo um sf i believe on twitter did a great thread fantastic this, thread like my favorite tour. summer tour yeah. thread yeah and he was talking about, you know, just uh, how much of an impact uh, the, those synthesizers and um, and 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 the Wurlitzer um, page yeah. was just go. Uh, the, uh, you know, I love electric piano. I love that analog sound, um, and I feel like. It's interesting. I, I feel like Trey is so much less likely to, as the jaded vets say, ripcord a jam when Paige is playing electric piano. It's a really weird thing. Um, I, I, I just I, I feel like they'll always continue to push forward while Paige is playing Wurlitzer. And uh, I, I don't know why that is, but I love it. <laughs> thing keeps churning and oscillating and before you know it you're like surfing the rings of saturn it's incredible and and you're right page is the is kind of the guy who's taking the reins when they're going you know out into the you know intergalactic shit so right on man and I just another thing that I just want to um, pimp is their listening skills. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you go back and listen to that tweezer from Alpharetta, as soon as the jam starts, Mike plays this pattern of like four notes, and immediately 
the other three band members pick up on what he's doing and that sets the tone for the whole 34 however long that that was um fish has always been great at listening to each other we know about the hay hole exercises and stuff like that but in particular the fact that these guys are still playing together after 37 years is is paying such huge dividends this summer yeah and it's incredible for lack of a more suitable term that they're not only are they playing together playing well together but they're pushing the envelope yes. in an authentic way still and i mean it's hard to hard to find a peer in that regard that are really you know you can say what and i say it about the big boat stuff and the sort of like pedantic nature of some of the material in my opinion um but at the end of the day, the performances speak for themselves, where they go with it. And, you know, if they want to write, you know, ditties of that nature, who am I to begrudge them that? But, but for me, what, you know, gives me a chub is that outer spatial, you know, adventuring. And we saw so much of that this summer. So I, I wanted to, I have a couple of questions, you know, not controversial, but I want to wrap up with two questions. One about the music and one about the community. Obviously, there's lots of different discussions and dilemmas in the fish community with regard to what they play and when after everything you described and we've discussed about the sort of anxiety and apprehension and tensions between everybody given the circumstances uh, i think it was just an incredible run of shows that was medicine for the fans but yet at the end of ac we're left arguing over whether or not they should have played number line after fluffhead (laughs) Now, I'm not a number line guy, but I am a guy who understands the feels and also, you know, had an opiate addiction for many years, understand the nature of the song, what it means to them, what it means to many fans. So, you know, I'm not here to hate on that. At the same time, is there a higher bar or a deeper bow than a standalone fluffhead encore to end a tour? Where are you there? Where, where, where does Scotty B stand in in that discussion it was bonus fish it was just an extra five minutes of fish i get that there is something to be said for ending on the fluffhead note um but i don't think anything was taken away by the fact that they played this five minute song that means a lot to them um i am not a huge fan of the song but i I, like you can appreciate what it means to their history and um you know it just not isn't something that is going to get me worked up to get a bonus song that it's not like it took away a slot from something else yeah Agreed, and that's a fair take, and I'm not mad at it. You know, I would have probably personally preferred the standalone fluff. Then I read this thread about this gentleman who passed away, and they were spreading his ashes, and that was his song, and I just was like, come on. I mean, they sh- that was a beautiful story, and it kind of made the whole argument yeah. ridiculous when you find out what it means on that level. Um, lastly, we obviously have an uncertain future. You touched on how you were turned off about the division and the sort of uh, the tenor of the commentary between fans. It hasn't gotten any better with the announcement of proof of vaccination, etc. Are you comfortable going to shows this fall tour? And uh, do you think that they're even going to happen? 
I do. I, I think they're going to happen. Um, I if they were closer to me, I mean, I don't think I'm going to make it out west. Um, just on a financial and time level, um, I certainly am hoping that they wind up adding some shows, um, be it the New Year's run and perhaps maybe some Thanksgiving week shows. But um, I, I'd be open to to going. Um, and but I don't have kids. If I had kids that can't get vaccinated, I'd feel much differently. And I have so sure. much respect for people that are not seeing shows because they don't want to take the risk of get, contracting the virus and spreading it to their kids who can't get the vaccine. Uh, I, I sure it, it'd be uh, the, the, this live music scene cannot deal with another sh- full shutdown. I really hope that doesn't happen. Um, I hope we get our shit together and um, it, 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 it's, it's able, to, whatever happens um, the, this fall is able to happen for Fish and, and every other band. Um, and and I, I'm just thinking positively, I think it's going to happen. Well, from your lips to jaw ears, like the yes. Rastas say. And yeah, man. How about you? The same as you. Okay. I, well, I feel the same as you with regards to we can't survive another shutdown. Uh, we're not even sure if we really survived the first one right. yet. So uh, I'm not sure where I'm at on indoor shows. To be honest, I, I made an exception. I've been to one indoor show. It was the Lettuce After Show. Lettuce is one of the few bands I actually love even more than Fish. And I had a very private area with my fiance with lots of space and had that not been the case i might not have stuck around i'm just not sure you know i got the vax i also don't have children i have similar concerns as you in general just you know i wanted to backtrack and even ask you like i was really conscious of the masks not masks like we messed up i'm here with my mom who's you know 79 years old and she came to one show and i'm staying here for a time so it's like i'm gonna mask up i mean i'm gonna take a test tomorrow too uh that said if it wasn't an ac you know i didn't do any of the other shows you know it was just like in my backyard where i grew up the beach i learned to surf on with my hometown homies like we had the fish tickets by mail last summer and held on to them hoping this would happen and we did it and jaw willing we're going to test negative and turn the page but there was so much anxiety and apprehension just to do this and on a beach and maybe i'm allowing fear to uh play too much of a role i'm just not sure i sure as shit want to be there but i if you're asking me today i i really don't know man they canceled jazz fest which actually frees up the whole west coast for me right. in a perfect world i'm turning back the clock to summer 98 sure you know but uh who knows we'll, we'll check in with me in about six weeks i might have a better idea sounds good but dude this was great man we should do it again down the road there's always some cool shit to talk about your voice is is one that's so treasured and valued in this community on so many levels and uh i just love chopping it up with me and i had a great time the feeling is mutual thanks for having me on right on brother
Well, that was awesome. Chatting it up with the one and only Scotty B. Scott Bernstein from jambase.com. Check him out. Yemblog on Twitter, at Y-E-M-Blog. Just an insightful follow, a lot of hashtag geekery. Just uh, deep pulls on fish stuff. And then, of course, the way Twitter works, you'll get steered into all of fish Twitter and can... You know, there's a number of people who do uh, what he does, uh, or a version of it, on Fish Twitter. And it's interesting in this age to see people freely discuss the band, not unlike they did in rec.music.fish, whatever that was, 25 plus years ago, the original shit. And everything, the whole diaspora that's extrapolated from... uh, you know, fish, fish fans, or fanners, as we used to call them, the internet, connectivity, geekery, and, you know, the search for new land. Uh, copyright Lee Morgan. So, yeah, there it is. Scotty B. giving us his take on Summer 21 thus far. And, you know, he just keeps it real. He is a genuine, intentional, just really authentic dude. And gives you the skinny, uh, which is like a box score with all the essentials. It gives you the yem blog, which are nuanced takes. Some of them hot, some of them just, you know, on the money. Not controversial. Um, But most of all, he just gives you uh, an insightful reading of what we're getting from the fish from Vermont. So I want to say thank you to Scotty B. I hope to have him back again. I'd love to really retrace his whole journey. It's so unique, and it's not unlike my own, but it's also markedly different. And, you know, I was with Jambase for 14 years, uh, and then when I got out of incarceration, Kunj and Sarah from Live for Live Music invited me to join their team, and I never looked back. But we had a brief crossover for like two years when Scotty was running the show at Jam Bass and I was still writing for them. And he published my first Burning Man article, which was like uh, a new chapter for me as a journalist. And obviously Burning Man is certainly not uh, Jam Bass's target demo and vice versa. <clears throat> but there is a little bit of crossover in the Venn diagram, more than you would think. And Scotty B had the vision to say, you know what, dude, I'll run it. And he didn't just run an article, man. I went on and on, like I always do, about, you know, my whole cherry-popping Burning Man experience. And it was so, like, wide-eyed and slack-jawed um, and also really passionate. And and he ran it, and that opened so many doors for me, not the least of which was, like, Random Rab and Symbiosis and Lightning in a Bottle. And that Burning Man article just was kind of like a... Uh, planning my flag in a lot of ways as a writer and a storyteller. And I got to hand it to Scott Bernstein on that. Uh, he greenlighted that shit and gave me the easel. And, you know, look at what he's done with the site in the interim almost decade now. Because that was summer 2013. But I digress. I just wanted to show love to Scotty B. And, and thank him for coming on the show. And we should have him back. But moving on to another topic, before I I speak about my own thoughts and feelings, uh, 
troubling developments in the fish community with regards to toxic masculinity and sexual behaviors, predatory behaviors, assault in some cases. I came across a post about another post uh, written from an anonymous woman's perspective. I'm just going to read verbatim the post. It speaks for itself. Uh, the you know prevalence of this type of behavior is you know more present than any of us believe you know there's been a lot of big takedowns in like electronic music with a bass nectar or in the spiritual music scene with Nako or edm also with uh thriftworks i mean a number of people and, and and many more and even more have been accused and and it's just it sucks and it's obviously a new dawn a new day and it's got to be called out and spoken about. And that's what this is about. That's what Groove Safe is about, which is an organization that's working towards making safer fish shows and festivals in the jam scene and just the jam scene in general a safer and more comfortable space for women. All that to say, uh, and I quote from this post, quote, I just read a post in a female-only fish fan group that I'm in about incidents of unwanted touching and groping at summer tour shows. A post that generated an additional 50 plus comments of other horrifying examples of sexually predatory behavior from men in the fish scene. It's horrifying. And the saddest fact of all is that you've seen, if you've seen as many shows as me, that all of those things have probably happened to you. I've been touched, groped, forcibly kissed against my will held, leered at, stared at, had unauthorized pictures and videos taken of me, had horrible things said to me, stared at for not only an entire song, but multiple songs by the same man, had men masturbate over their pants while watching me, been grabbed while walking, and harassed. In Hershey, we literally screamed for help while the men all around us stood there with their hands in their pockets, and tried not to look. It's only getting worse in my opinion. I said something sad to myself the other day, that as I get older, this will stop happening to me, that I'll be, quote, too old, unquote, to be sexually assaulted at a fish show. Sadly, I don't think this is something you age out of. And the fact that I'm even thinking this is the saddest thing of all. I know Groove Safe is doing the heavy lifting to amplify the message of having a safe show for everyone, but I'm sending a direct message to all the men who are fans and friends and also like fish. Please help us, all caps. Please don't stand there and let this happen. There are more of you than them, parentheses, the creeps. More of us than the creeps. And we just need you to stand up for us. If you see a woman acting like she's uncomfortable or scared, please ask her if she needs help, all caps. And if you're friends with any of these creeps, please put them in their place. It's not cool. It never was cool. And your drug and alcohol use is no excuse for this kind of behavior. End quote. Close quote. Thank you, sister, whomever wrote that horrifying yet ultimately necessary missive. 
it made many of us furious to read. I just don't get it. Who goes to a fucking fish show for that shit? To, I mean, you shouldn't do that shit anywhere. But I, I don't understand um, somebody bringing that energy to that space, that behavior to that space. But of course, it's mostly dudes and mostly white dudes. And it goes without saying, you know, there's a sense of entitlement. And uh, the rules don't apply. And why would the fish scene be exempt from such a thing and as i wrote earlier this week quote just because the band is on fire and we're feeling feelings we forgot does not mean we are going to stand for this shit look away or tacitly allow it to continue what so freaking ever the fish community is far from immune to this kind of predatory behavior in fact it's more prevalent than anyone realizes Yes, the good folks at GrooveSafe are indeed on the case. Nonetheless, on average, fish shows are roughly 73% dudes. It's up to us to regulate this whenever we see it, however we can, on site. This shit's beyond deplorable and has no place. So reading this thread really snapped me out of my post-fish bliss with a quickness. A lot of fans are in denial of toxic masculinity and it shows. Do better, do something. So yeah, before I get into my own fairy tale-ish take on the fish from Vermont, I felt it imperative and necessary to uh, amplify this message and these terrible tales of egregious behavior. Come on, dudes. It's fucking embarrassing. And criminal. And just disgusting. I'm going to let this ride out for a second and I'll be back in a moment with a few more words about the fish from Vermont before we hear from our next special guest. indeedy now that we got that PSA out of the way I wanted to just read a little something that I scribbled in the aftermath of Atlantic City they carry news that must get through to build a dream for me and you I'd like to say something profound about this past weekend in Atlantic City but I'm not exactly sure what nor where to start but I certainly feel it deeply and strongly somewhere within my heart. Once upon a time in what feels like a lifetime ago, the fish from Vermont were my whole universe. My entire calendar and social circle was predicated on the band and their unrivaled, exuberant live experience over and over and over again. Tour was everything, and often the only thing, until it wasn't. 
Even though I still saw shows from time to time and regularly engaged in conversations relative to the band, since I moved to California in 2013, I'd lost the fever for the flavor in a major way. It would ebb and flow, but the passion I once wielded and the fire that burned within me had faded considerably. I just took all that energy and attention that I formerly put into the fish and injected it into other artists, scenes, and adventures. Lettuce, D'Angelo, Jazz Fest, Burning Man, West Coast Festival Culture, eventually into my writing, podcast, and ultimately partnership. Yet I've never missed the fish from Vermont in the city by the Atlantic, nor has my mom for that matter. And with Alicia in tow, I wasn't about to let that streak come to an end, nor miss this golden opportunity to see the band in our beach backyard with my nearest, furthest, oldest and dearest. We hit on fish tickets by mail back in 2020 and we held on to those ducats in hopes this summer would come to fruition. And yes, indeedy, it sure did. Of course, the Delta threw us a variety of curveballs, and the long weekend we dreamt of for a year plus was colored by concerns and anxieties, precautions and premonitions associated with recent spikes in cases and the resulting paranoia, fear, apprehension, and sadly, extreme division among my communities on both coasts. A bunch of friends freaked out and bailed in the week or so leading up to AC. Others got the bug on fish tour. And we ended up outright missing dozens more while we were down there at the shore. As phones hardly worked on the beach and the days and nights flew by before we knew it, it felt like the whole shebang was over in a blistering blink of an eye. I'm super bummed to have missed a number of peeps I was longing to connect with for many moons. But I am buoyed by the smiles and vibes from those we did. Because oh, how we missed thee. You know who you is. And then there were the shows. What can I say? I have no complaints. Whatsoever. Back in the days, I was somewhat of a harsh critic who set the bar pretty high for these boys. And more often than not, they delivered. During the majority of 3.0, I turned into a card-carrying jaded vet. Admittedly, I have not been as attentive nor passionate and stopped prioritizing getting to multi-show runs long, long ago. Though it certainly could be me, I simply haven't exactly felt the same way about their performances in general, for the most part, in some time and had, in essence, turned the proverbial page in numerous ways. For what it's worth, I hadn't really walked out of a fish show with my head in the clouds and my heart in my hands since December 30th, 2012, at MSG in NYC. Something, somewhere within me, it unexpectedly shifted during the pandemic, likely to an unforeseen, unpredictable elixir. Lots of time on my hands, keys to the Wayback Machine, a text thread with the hometown homies, the dinner and a movie series, those goddamn beacon jams, and a heightened propensity for the feels. The byproduct of these combined elements was that the fever for the flavor returned with gusto and shockingly persuaded my soul to reignite. At some point, my fiancée, Alicia, 
who I've been lucky to catch half a dozen shows with over the past few years, including my 200th, she remarked she'd never seen me so plugged into the fish thing, so emotionally invested, the light growing brighter by the day. Here we were, streaming every night, guessing the songs on Twitter, breaking down the jam tendencies and new happenings, and then tuning in the next night once again, rinse, repeat. Even planning our evenings around viewing the streams and then nerding out on what we heard until our heads hit the pillow. It was a side of me she was not exactly familiar with. Usually when I am stomping around the living room during a live stream with my hands on my head and my jaw agape, screaming, holy fuck, to no one in particular, there's a different band on the screen, but let us get to them a little bit later. In light of what we've all collectively and individually lived through during this confounding, divisive, unprecedented time in our lives, the opportunity to attend the fish shows in Atlantic City with Alicia and for one show, my mom, was such a gift, such a joy, such a blessing, one that is not lost on me whatsoever. I give thanks. And I'm on the record. Saturday Night in AC was my favorite show since that penultimate night of 2012 at the Garden. Yet all three nights in AC kind of felt like one big show. Now, do I have opinions and takes on these particular performances? Sure I do. But it doesn't matter. I didn't come at this experience with a critical ear nor a writer's pen. So there will be no show reviews this time around. I really just surrendered to the flow and in the moment, without any sort of analysis to cloud nor color the concerts. I will say one final thing though, three nights and six sets of The Fish was positively glorious. This summer tour has proven they are creatively juiced, tremendously inspired, and making music as vibrant and ambitious as ever. Some of their Type 2 jams this summer and a few sets front to back have been nothing short of astonishing. And I must acknowledge, it feels fucking incredible to be dialed into La Cosa Nostra once again. However, let us, not even for a second, get it twisted, fam. The best music I heard, the sickest dance sesh we had, and really the finest two hours of the entire weekend in the city on the Atlantic took place from 1 to 3 a.m. on Saturday night at Soundwaves in the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino. And if I'm being honest, for me, it wasn't even close. But live music is not a competition because around here, everybody wins. I hear the dogs of doom are howling more. And there you have it, fam. That was uh, a little reflection on how I'm feeling in the aftermath of Atlantic City. I've been surfing for a few days here in Margate in the shadow of the mighty Lucy the Elephant, reconnecting with my youth, remembering who the fuck I am. And of course, the fish from Vermont have a big part of that. And another major player, major factor 
in my roots and in my coming of age and in my life for, you know, going on 30 plus years now. Really think about it like 33 years is my boy J.A., Jason Abrams. He was on some of the early episodes of the Up for Life podcast, often to talk about the fish. But he actually came through and stayed at my mom's crib with me and Alicia uh, for this AC run. And uh, we had a lot to talk about. So we decided to put it down for a podcast. So I thought it'd be a, a sweet, complimentary commentary with Scotty B., the all-everything source, and then my man J.A., who is a noted Delaware Valley fish historian, uh, but also just an almanac of pop culture, huge Guns N' Roses fan, huge just music encyclopedia uh, across genres and generations. And we met at a KISS concert in the press box at the Philadelphia Spectrum in 1990. KISS Hot in the Shade tour, Little Caesar and Slaughter opened. So we're huge jam, uh, jam band fans, huge fish fans, huge glam band fans, and metal, and pro wrestling. And Jason, as much as he knows about fish and the Stones and Bon Jovi and Guns N' Roses, he knows about pro wrestling. He's uh, a ring, in-ring announcer and a ringside announcer and also a pro wrestling historian. So he happens to be one of my best friends in the whole world, and one of the best guys I know. And just a tremendous human being. You can check him out. Uh, Rock and Wrestling Connection. It's a podcast and also a TikTok channel. Where he's got just really sweet content. On both sides of the rock and wrestling fence. I was on his pod a few months ago. Talking about bad guys in rock and bad guys in the ring. But Jason, J.A., the one and only. The icon under 40. He's one of the good guys, a baby face if there ever was. So with that, we'll hear a little bit more of this diabolical jam. Uh, and then J.A. on Up Full Life podcast, episode 48. We don't often talk fish on the Up Full Life podcast, but got to admit, I'm a longtime and hardcore fish fan and really have enjoyed listening to a variety of uh, podcasts oriented around the fish from Vermont. Uh, lately, be it on Osiris or the Big Cypress podcast, and, and you know, I was just waiting for an opportunity to do something fish-oriented, fish content. And what do you know? Happened to be coming to you live and direct from Fishtown neighborhood in Philadelphia, PA. On the back end of three nights of the fish from Vermont on the Atlantic City Beach where I spent many summers of my youth along with dear friends of mine growing up because I'm from this area. All that to say, I have the distinct honor and pleasure and privilege of sharing the airwaves with one of my oldest and dearest friends, J.A., Jason Abrams, of the Jason Abrams Show, of the Rock and Wrestling Connection podcast, accomplished Delaware Valley fish historian, also uh, 
an almanac of all things pro wrestling. And again... Which was proven uh, once again this weekend on the AC Boardwalk. Yeah. <laughs> the, the clashing of the worlds. Uh, Jason here was able to answer a pretty obscure wrestling trivia question on on demand, basically. So it's pretty amazing. But, you know, Jason's been on the Up for Life podcast before, uh, but not necessarily quite like this. We're just going to sit around and shoot the shit about the fish for a little while. So, welcome. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me, as always. It's a pleasure to be chatting with you. Yeah, and we had a weekend full of chats and full of hangs and, you know, walks on the beach and chopping up set lists and talking about cat sound, hoodies. You make it sound so romantic. It felt romantic, you know. It was, you know, it was great to have you around, and it was great to see a Thank bunch you. of the old it gang. It was great to stay at your place. It was awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Wouldn't have it any other way. Um, but obviously, you know, it was just AC for me. Three nights. Uh, brought my mom on Sunday. It was her first time seeing fish since they last visited Atlantic City in 2012, which feels like a lifetime ago. Um, Two lifetimes ago. Right, right. And she, actually, she was there. Uh, for the 2010, uh, when they played Wingsuit on Halloween, she, I believe, went on the 29th that year. So she's three for three in AC, which we are as well. I think, no, they played AC four times. They played AC Bader Field. Right. They played Wingsuit. Right. They played Little Feet. Right. And they also played This Time on the Beach. Correct. Correct. Well, well I wonder um, if she's four for four. I should ask her. I can't recall. I, as I'm, you know. I'm Delaware Valley noted fish story. Right. So I know yeah, these yeah, things. you know these things. Yeah, and that's why you're on the show, and that's why I consult you for, uh, you know, the nerd stuff. And, and I, you know, it goes without saying that those years, those early 3.0 years, might have been pretty clear for our Jedi hero, Trey, but can't say the same for me. So I'm not surprised I actually completely forgot one of those AC stops because I, I went to all four and I believe my mom probably did as well. Can't imagine that we ever stayed at her place in Margate and she didn't come along to a show. But uh, yeah, little feet. I remember um, walking into, I uh, walking into the venue and some girl was handed the fish bill in front of me and she goes, little feet. I have little feet. This is going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, so, that's funny. I was, uh, I was ready to go. Yeah, those were those were some great shows. These were some great shows. And before we get into the minutia of the performances and even talking about the venue, uh, let's talk a little bit about our histories with the fish, because, um, you know, we both started seeing music together as far back as fifth grade kiss on the hot in the shade tour. Uh, we both seen thousands of concerts. Literally, you were kind enough to uh Hooked me up a number of times. You've worked at a number of venues uh, over the years. So it's not like you're just a fish fan or just a music fan. You're a, a music industry lifer. Your pops was in the industry here in Philly. His his name rings out. And your brother's about to be inducted into the Boxing Hall of Fame. Atlantic City Boxing Hall of Fame. This coming... Uh, Mark Abrams, ladies this and gentlemen. Sunday, he's got markabramsboxing.com. Might as well give that a quick plug. Yeah, of course. Uh, he owns uh, 15rounds.com, which is a very popular boxing website. And, uh, yeah, he's uh, he's he's going to be going into the Atlantic City. Bo I, I started talking about him. That'll be 25 minutes. So we'll just leave it. He's going in with the courageous award, as he deserves. As as he does. And, and all that to say that you've been in uh, entertainment in variety of capacities for your oh, whole yeah. life. And it's funny because, like, you know, you've always been a hardcore music historian. 
but I feel like you were lukewarm on fish until you really caught the bug. Take me back. You saw a couple shows, but it wasn't until years later that you really got the fever for the flavor. I mean, I think it was just the same as anyone. I saw a show or two and then got into it a little bit more as it progressed. Uh, what what changed? What evolved for you where you're like, I need more of this? I just, I, I like, well, first of all, I just like good music. So, I mean, I go to three to four concerts a week anyway uh, when, you know, pre-COVID or, you know, what have you. But, uh, so I would always go see whatever's in town. And even like if I'm into the band non-jam band related i would go to multiple other cities to see some of my favorite bands uh springsteen guns and roses the rolling Stones. so i wouldn't just go to like the philly show so it was easy for me to latch on to what they were doing i love uh the settlers change i love the grateful dead i love uh there's other aspects about fish like collecting posters i like merch you know like so it's a it, it's like a i'm like a natural fit yeah. They're like really selling to me. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. You are kind of like the perfect, you know, yeah. demographic or, or fan for them because you touch all the boxes. But, you know, like you, you've never been a big psychedelics guy. You've never been like crazy, like intoxicated guy. You've also never really been like uh, super nerdy about like stats and, and, and fish lore. But yet you're probably the most dedicated fan of my inner circle maybe it's because i didn't do the psychedelics i remember I, I i retained it all yeah i think that's it i mean you proved it a few minutes ago by pulling out the the stats from ac uh and i think you know you've been somebody that as i kind of touch and go with fish you know they were my whole life for you know in my first hundred shows or so like nothing else mattered and then you know it's been touch and go during 3.0 for me for the most part um, but this summer, and I think, you know, this is a good way to kind of segue into the discussion. I found myself hooked long before uh, I got to go to AC, you know, streaming, talking on Twitter, talking online, reading reviews. Um, something happened during the pandemic. I think it was related to the Beacon Jams and the absence of live music and sort of reflecting on all that we've had and all that we've been blessed to experience and then having the rug pulled out. Uh, it was, you know, impossible not to just marinate on the, you know, glory days of yore. So um, I wanted to kind of just talk a little bit about the community, um, maybe like the state of the fish union, if you will, not necessarily relative to COVID, but just, I don't know if this is a 4.0 era, whatever you want to call it, this summer. Everything's related to COVID. After a two-year hiatus from life, it doesn't matter if it's music, sports, desk job. I mean, you just can't shake it. Right. But so therefore, um, it almost feels like, yeah, this is a 4.0. There's after COVID is definitely a vibe. Right. And the... Not saying COVID's over. Right. And we're not, it, but we're not saying it's over. Yeah. And that, this is not really a discussion of, of that nature. But like you yeah. said, you can't get around. It's the elephant in the room. Yeah. Um, did you notice uh, any kind of tangible difference at the shows, like a, a community vibe? And you don't have to be rosy red uh, glasses. If you didn't feel it, I'd like to hear it. I'm curious if you sense any sort of like togetherness or, or, or anything that was different, say, from 2019. Well, I didn't have to pass joints. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> that um, No, but you know what? I, so I went and saw a couple 
I saw Guns N' Roses first right. a few days before I saw Fish. I saw Guns N' Roses in Hershey Park Stadium where they kicked off their tour, and then I saw another Guns N' Roses show in MetLife Stadium, and then I saw Fish in Hershey Park, then three Fish shows in Atlantic City. That being said, I feel like I, I, I really, you know, the Guns N' Roses. It was a sold out show. There was like forty something thousand people there. Uh, there was a vibe, just like you know, it was a the weather was great. So, um, yeah, it definitely like you knew in the back of your head, like wow, this is the first time I'm at a big concert. There was very few masks, but some masks. Um, but I think people were just like you know, it was like you know, back to norm. Like beer line was long as can be. I think by the time I got to the Fish concert, same thing. Like half of that crowd or. 35% of that crowd has already been to a few shows on that tour. Mm-hmm. So they were kind of like, you know, already in their element. Um, so, I, you know, it just, I, you know, it's like riding a bike as, you know, as a fan. Yeah, yeah, I guess it is. You know, for me, it didn't feel like riding a bike. I took a little time to get acclimated. I've seen a couple shows also before the fish in AC, but not other fish shows. So I didn't go to Hershey, although... You know, I went to Hershey in 96 and then again in 2000. Um, Ditto. Did did you? 2009. Did, I didn't go in 2009. Um, did you get a sense? Of, was, was there any sort of historical vibe? Uh, I know they played some sh- songs that they had played uh, at their previous shows there. But, you know, uh, Hershey holds a little bit of fish lore, right? You know, like. It has, it has a little bit of... Uh, they played three different venues, I think, in Hershey. Right. Yeah. What did you think of this venue uh, relative to, like, space and your ability? You had to, if, if um, I said to my friend who I went to the show with, if you were any hesitancy of, you know, COVID, but you really had that fish bug and wanted to go, Hershey would have been the perfect stop on the tour to go to because... The place holds like 50-something thousand. It's an old football stadium built in like the 1930s. So so it's a huge football stadium. I mean, uh, and they probably only put like 15,000, 17,000 people in there on a a, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday. The place they were going to originally play held 11,000. Matt, you know, I go to other venues and I, and like, you know, yeah, the fish lure pops up. Not as much for me with Hershey. Okay. Yeah, that's a straight take. I appreciate that. You know, now, let me ask you this, because there's uh, there's the whole, like, you know, the fans show up, they come into your town, they're going to party down, right? Oh, yeah. So, what was that like, um, now, whether it's Shakedown or at the hotels or whatever, when, when Fish came to Hershey, was there that, like, take over the town vibe, or did you not really know what was up until the there show? There wasn't, like, I mean, people weren't hesitancy on, uh, you know, Partying pregame. Up. But there wasn't, like, you know, maybe as communal as before. Right. Like, you know, maybe not as many people walking around. Maybe, Shakedown you know, going on? I didn't really, like, you know, we got there, we went in, you know. like right. So I didn't, like, super partake. But, you know, we had the – they parked. It was so funny. I, I, like, once again, here you go. Great example. I was saying this to my buddy on the way up. Um, Guns N' Roses, 40-something thousand people, right? Fish, 17, 20,000 people. Guns N' Roses, they let you park right in the venue, like right in the venue parking lot. Mm-hmm. For fish, 
they put us on like some dude's farm that they called up the day before. We're like, <laughs> we need some space. We got some dirty filthies coming to town. It was so embarrassing. Oh, I have never. I said to Joe, I was like, are you kidding me? This is crazy. I, we literally drove by where I parked for Guns N' Roses or they let people park. And it was half empty. Like, there's just like you could run around and do cartwheels in the parking lot and spots. But no way would they let the fish fans park there. Oh, wow. I, I mean, I don't know what they the were reputation expecting. precedes them. Or maybe they just needed all the space for guns because there's so many more cars, so many no, more No, 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 no. They did not let these people near their parking spots that might have had <laughs> people that were going into Hershey Park. Okay. They were like, these people. I see what you're saying. They wanted to keep them. Oh, my God. It was so embarrassing. Separated. So, I, they might as well parked. I must have got out of the car in Philly and walked. Yeah, I mean, it's a 30... Plus years, drug band <laughs> reputation proceeds precedes them. It was terrible. Okay, but and and you know, what was your take on the performances? Oh, in they're they're on fire right now. I mean, these yeah. guys specifically itching, Hershey though. These guys were itching to play. It was a great show. They played a lot of songs I love. Two of my favorites, Lizards and Joy. Uh, was that you know, night one? That was I went night one only. Okay. Um. They opened the show at first two, which is like real easy to get the crowd going. Yeah, cheap De- pop, definitely a cheap pop. Uh, Trey's, you know, he he stands out in front of his mic. You know, everyone's excited. He really gets the pick going. You know. Yeah. What do you think of, of first two? More like I know it's neither of our favorite songs, but like, is it more effective in the opener slot or like how we played it in AC deep in the second set? Those marks and chompers will eat it up whenever he throws <laughs> it out. <laughs> Okay, and you love Lizards. Lizards and uh, Joy, two of my all-time yeah. favorite fish tunes. So it was if you get something like that in one show, it's like, wow. Right. Death Don't Hurt Very Long is probably my favorite of all the like, newer, newer songs. Uh, that or was just a, in general. Yeah, like it's an incredible it's song. It's a great song. It's yeah, great it's song. got like... Uh, this like rebelish Johnny Cash vibe yeah. to it, but you know it's still fish and it yeah. rocks. Has like a ZZ Top thing ZZ to it. ZZ Top, too. yeah, it's it's great. But when you talk about that stuff, like okay, those are three songs. Joy is so different than the Lizards. I mean, they're twenty years apart. The Lizards is some fantasy land game hen shit. Joy is yeah. just such a simple, beautiful, folky uh, sentiment. And then Death Don't Hurt Very Long is like a, a arena rock bombast, and and it's the same band. And the same fan, you, and you love these songs. And I mean, look, be more we got different. a couple thousand records, you know. We can go listen to Paul Abdul or we can go listen to Suicidal Tendencies. What do you uh, want to do? I that's mean, why you're my boy, yeah, man. So that's like, the you know, range yeah, so, right there. So uh, whatever, you know, it's a vibe, it's a feeling, you know, and that's, you know, songs that I particularly like. But I like them all. There's not one bad song in the bunch. It's a good example that, uh, that's debatable. But, but uh, those, are, here those, are the two, those were two more of my of top, top tiers. Because, like, you know, people didn't love Hershey, you know. Well, uh, those people are crazy. Right. Well, you know, it's a different show that falls on different ears. Second set had a sick No Man's Land opener with yeah, the jam. Big jam. The jam. Uh, if, you know, it, it was a big jam. I would have liked the jam to have been later in the set. Uh, maybe hoping that then another big jam would be, like, you know, like, uh, I feel it's, I don't know. But, you know, it's, they know what they're doing. Right. It's their music to play. Yeah. But it was a great jam. And then Soul Plan. I love Soul Plan. You do? Yeah, it's a good tune. I'm not a fan. Okay. It feels pedantic to me. But it has some jams sometimes. And know? I See You, Great Standard, then the Joy, uh, Golden Age. Yeah. Great cover. Huge, huge great cover. tune. 
So, so you were pleased. <clears throat> I think it's a good example of like, you know, some people see a bunch of shows and then, you know, they, they get more critical. This was your first show back. You were just blissed out getting the songs you wanted to hear. Um, you know, for me, <clears throat> I've been paying I, attention just, all just summer. Just the vibe, too. Just right. the, and being, you know. Being Let's talk about the vibe. What was the vibe in Hershey? Tell it me. was it was a great vibe. I mean, the fans never miss a beat there. As a matter of fact, uh, during the second set, I'm hanging out and there's like these, you know, two cute girls, uh, one who was like really having a good time and then another taller friend of hers. They're both adorable. And like, you know me, I'm kind of a shy guy. So like, well, I don't know, I get like, you know, I get intimidated. I get, a cute girl might say hi to me. I feel like she's going to mug me or something. <laughs> I have terrible reactions. So she's like, ah, whatever. And then. You know, I was like, oh, I'm so stupid. I should probably dance with this girl. But you know what? Then three songs later, I look over. She's in her cocktail dress on the r- ground doing the worm like she's Scotty Duotti. Oh, my God. <laughs> right there on the floor. Oh, it's fascinating. Tremendous. That's that's dedication, and especially in, in yeah. this day and age. And it was, Now I really wish I would have danced with her. Yeah, I mean, not everyone gets down yeah. and does the worm uh, mid-second set. But that just shows you, you know, the level of joy and elation that fans are feeling it's the best fam it's i i you know i love saying it's the best fan it's, but there are so many great fan bases but it's a great fan base i i feel like i've it's an incredible fan base there's just so much going on the girl did the worm i know amazing <laughs> in a amazing. cocktail dress i saw whitney houston in a similar cocktail dress <laughs> girl's doing the worm now let's talk about ac let's talk a little three bit three nights AC. atlantic city new jersey yeah so this was this was like an event. I wanted to ask if to you did the musically, culturally, did it feel like a festival? It had a festival vibe to the point uh, the beach was so big, yeah, that it gave people an opportunity to like stake ground, uh, you know, uh, have a like a little spot for them and their friends. Um, yeah, it just, it was a big show. I mean, you could, uh, they told us, you know, they did 50,000 people for some of the previous concerts. Before like Warped the COVID, Tour and stuff. Yeah, before the COVID era, uh, Maroon 5 played there, uh, Pink played there, DMX, God Rest His Soul played there, the Rough Riders Reunion Tour, wow. band, whatever that was going around. Could at you that imagine time. that on that, that beach? Holy oh, shit. Oh, it must have been a fucking night. Thousands of people just barking. Yeah, I would love to have been there. <laughs> I saw that when it first came around, uh, working at the Sony Block Butters Blockbuster Entertainment Center. But that was like you know the Rough Riders tour. Yeah, yeah. The when it wasn't a reunion, it was no. The, it was like the real thing. They were in their twenties and thir- you know late twenties, whatever. Eve, I guess, was the biggest deal at that point. Right. Yeah. yeah. Philadelphia's own. Yeah. You know. So relative to the beach, because you know, there's been uh, discussion on Twitter, and I, I've been reading reviews of different folks, and so the beat for me. The beach was amazing. I grew up on this beach right th- you know, down the, the beach in Margate, two miles or so for those of you less initiated. Spent all my summers there learning to surf, going to camp, playing on the beach, ice cream, man. So uh, this life. beach has an elephant. Oh, yeah. We'll get, to, we'll get to Lucy. I'm just saying, so I grew up down there, and so I have a very strong affinity for the region, for the beach, for the, for the history of Atlantic City, of Absecan of, of Island. And of course, Lucy the Elephant. Now, we didn't know about the poster no, no. the night before they released it on Friday morning. So Thursday night, when we got down there, I took my fiance Alicia and my buddy K.O.D. 
and showed them Lucy just because it was the, you know, was Andre's the eighth wonder of the world? So Lucy's probably the ninth wonder. Well, China is China's the ninth. China's the ninth. <laughs> All right, I'm getting, I digress. Anyway, we went down to Lucy, took a couple pictures, told them some stories about, you know, playing around there in my youth. And then the next morning, they reveal the posters, and one of them has an image of Lucy with the band at the top, reminiscent of kind of like the It Fest. I don't think the band. No, they are. They are. Oh, look, it's you got to go up real close. There's four heads. Okay, I'll look at it. And it, it's reminiscent have, of the Tower Jam. It's funny because I have one, and I didn't. Yeah. But I, I put it in my tube right away. But yeah. I'll look at it. I'll look at it. Yeah. So the band's at the top, but that's not the point. I, I, I'm getting at the fact that I loved the idea of doing the event on the beach in AC. In the summer, some you know, we hit on the mail orders in 2020. COVID happened, doesn't happen. If it was any other band anywhere else, I'm not doing it for obvious reasons. I had to travel from California. It's it's a whole it's a whole lot. However, I wasn't going to miss fish on the beach in AC for three nights, and it was an incredible experience just to go back where it all began for me. See all the kids I grew up with, plus a million other you know, barefoot friends, thousands of them, you know, like from all walks of my life. And then, of course, the shows. However, there were complaints, if you will, about the uh, the sort of infrastructure and logistics of fish on the beach. So you said it was really big. Obviously, there were delay towers every hundred yards. It was 10 city blocks. There were huge floodlights on at all times. Did you, yes or no question, love or not? AC Beach as a venue. It was pretty amazing. It was pretty amazing uh, as a venue. You got your fans, your feet in the beach, in the sand. In the ocean. And you can go into the ocean. I was surprised how uh, lib- you know, liberal they were with letting yeah. people uh, run around. But they had a bunch of lifeguards on. And, uh, and was- huge floodlights, which were kind yeah. of a, a rough on the eyes. I mean, I have shades Yeah, on. but they had those throughout the, the venue. It wasn't just sure. a... Uh, I don't think it was for the beach. I don't even think you could the floodlights even reach the ocean, really. They were pretty bright on the ocean side, but th- I'm just saying that was one of the main complaints. So like, hey, let's watch it down by the water. Oh, the floodlights are really bright. Certain places, if you stood between A, B, and C, they were pretty bad. But then there was a floodlight over on the other side. Yeah, I, the, side only, too. The, the biggest complaint I have was the trash cans. There was uh, no trash cans. That's the, like everything else was fine. They did a pretty good job for what you're, you know what you're dealing with, you know, it's just a huge beach, but you know, once again, so it is a, it's a beach. Uh, not that we want to throw garbage out on any floor or structure or grass, but it's the beach, you know, so they should have definitely had some more opportunities to throw your garbage. Um, yeah, there was trash everywhere. I really don't hope that's an example of the fan base because even in the food court where you had 12, you know, or 15 food, uh, vendors lined up, there was not a trash can in front of any of them. Right. Like, come on. Like, who, who has, like, that's like, uh, that might be illegal. It's unsanitary. <laughs> I wonder what that was. Like, yeah, someone missed it, that one. It was just way too few. And the ones they Walt had Disney were too small. Walt Disney would not have been happy. No, of course not. But I, I was disappointed in the garbage uh, that was left around. We did a few, you know, pickups at the end of each night, but it was, you know, yeah, and I uh, doesn't even I, put a dent into. I'm um, the uh, first one to blame the fans when the fans are wrong. For example, the nitrous after the show, which is like, I don't know if I can blame the fans. Like these aren't necessarily fans that run in and do it, but whatever. 
Um, if people didn't buy it, they wouldn't show up. The fans, whatever, you know. But the fans, the, the balloons are crazy. I mean, they have pictures of uh, some of the seagulls eating balloons. <laughs> it's, disgusting. It's, it's sad. So uh, I'll point it out when it's uh, wrong. But the fans did not do anything wrong when it comes to leaving the garden. Or, you know, unfortunately, they were put in a bad scene. They were sold yeah. all this beer and food. And they, they weren't, weren't set up away. for success with, this, with the garbage. Yeah. They didn't set them up for success. I, I, I have to agree, man. And, you know, there's this whole West Coast leave no trace movement at festivals where you bring it in, you bring it out. That stuff doesn't really happen out here. I wish people would have been more uh, attuned to the garbage stuff. But like you said, there just simply weren't enough receptacles. But at the end of every night, after having this blissed out night, dancing, friends, family, fish, lights come on. And there's garbage everywhere. It just kind of took a little bit of the yeah. the happiness. But to the music, to the music. Because we we yeah, well, okay. we enough on garbage. It's a lot of garbage. What was your favorite night in AC? I, well, so back to your version of the festival vibe. Um, I because I kind of like lumping it all together in a weird way. One big show. It was, it, if I mean that does feel like that to me when it's all said and done. Of course, you know we had. Uh, I guess three periods, so to speak, like a hockey game in this one, right? As opposed to like uh, four quarters at the Garden. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the uh, the middle night, maybe the Saturday right. night, was maybe the uh, if you were gonna bring a fan and be like, "Yo, this is fish." I mean, this right. is what they do. They played a lot of their big songs, um, and uh, they played great, yeah. which is the most important part. I think the performances is what makes it great more than the songs, because we course. talked about. Friday night being like a hits night, like a big pop songs, you know, big big cheer songs and, and beloved songs. But then Sunday, you got the two chestnuts in Yem and Fluff. I mean, the definitive like fish anthems. Uh, yet Saturday night for me uh, was most special for a variety of reasons. Let's start at the top. Are you a slow llama guy? Um, No, but you mentioned that real quick, the two chestnuts, so to speak. Well, Friday night... Second set opener, you get tweezer, bathtub, gin. So there you go. Yeah. Once again, two really big songs. Right. You know, and I think it was like a 40-minute combo. Yeah. Back to Saturday night. Well, you so, said to me at the end of Friday night, you're like, tonight is was one of those nights where you got big songs, yeah. played well, but it was not anything we were going to say, like tonight's version of whatever, tweezer, yeah. gin, you name it, was like an all-timer, but they were all... Great and yeah, competently actually, played. It was just, yeah. I thought that Saturday night... It was like setting the vibe almost. Back, yeah. back to that festival. But traditionally, festival or <clears throat> three nights in the same city, traditionally, Saturday night is the is the sort of rock and roll concert. Of course. Right? That yeah. wasn't this one. Well, I mean, Fish is a rock and roll band and they delivered Fish. Right, but you got like the epic slave and that, you know... No quarter... No Quarter, The Ghost. I mean, there were all no these... No Quarter's rock and roll. Yeah. Well, but that was the best No Quarter I can remember. It, it, it was... Um, Paige was really, like, laying down a foundation on it. Yeah, it was. He was. Like, and, and, like, bringing it back, you know. One of the things I really loved about No Quarter, uh, you were mentioning about Paige, and obviously Paige has been on some shit the whole summer. But uh, I really thought that Trey was like super dialed with his guitar tone, which has been on point all summer. But if pay special attention to the no quarter, he was just locked in a zone, 
And granted, they're not his own licks, but he was... Well, he, even even more so, you got to give it up to Jimmy yeah. Page. You don't want to be disrespectful. Exactly. And and I, I talked a little bit about this on social, but I wanted to say Saturday night was the night that really hooked me back to the fish. Um, you know, I had said, like, I never really, like, lost myself in the music since 12-30-12. And, and I don't see as many shows as I used to and not always paying as much attention, but... For whatever reason, the stars aligned uh, that night and, and coming out the gates with Slow Llama Tube Destiny, um, even though maybe Destiny wasn't that well performed, uh, just felt like, wow, this is my kind of first set. And, you know, Yamar, 46 Days, Reba, Soul Shakedown Party, Split Open and Melt, Squirming Quail. The newest song of that bunch is 46 Days, 1998. So it's just like super old school. But then they start second set with Never Needed You Like This Before, the new Trey song from the pandemic, a big drowned, which I thought was a gimme. With the uh, Dancing in the Dark teases. Yeah, you mentioned that. Our good friends at Fish.net missed that one. Well, hopefully somebody will add it in after the fact. Eh, Uh, Ghost is where I really shifted into overdrive dancing. Um, A Two short, criminally short, sense and subtle sounds. Obviously, they played the intro the next night. But Chalk Dust, No Quarter, Slave. That window right there oh. is primo fish. And Slave is one of my one of my tunes. And this particular Slave was, was everything that I seek out of the fish experience in a nutshell. Big Slave. Big Slave. Big Slave. And then, of course, uh, Susie, Life Beyond a Dream. And then the Tweet Prize on Saturday, not Slow Sunday. Slow down the uh, Susie to get the uh, slot machine pop. Right, right. And if you listen to previous Vegas shows from before, it kind of just goes right into it like a normal Susie. But you can tell a lot more with Susie because Susie is so, like, it's always played very similar, you know? Mm-hmm. So if he does anything, or if they do anything different with it, you kind of notice it as a, as a keen listener, you know? And you wanted, you or you felt like they wanted us to really get set up for that slot machine. Yeah, of course! But yeah. you got, I mean, you know, he's a showman at this point. Yeah, I just loved Saturday. They played songs that I loved really competently, if not uh, outstanding and extraordinary and for whatever reason, I, I was in the right space uh, to receive. It was a great show. Great yeah. show. And then uh, we talk a little bit about Sunday. We could, you know, without getting sloth, all into the bull. Sloth uh, kick down for the fans that have been the whole tour. Yeah. Big Sloth kick down. I love that song. Love any of the really obscure Game Henge stuff. But let's talk about the elephant in the room. Lucy? Big, the other elephant. <laughs> I'm going to set it up. Big historic tour. I, we didn't even talk about this because neither of us went, but some of the jams earlier in the tour, some of the best fish I ever heard, like the Simple Jam, the Tweezer from Alpharetta. There were a couple others. Uh, Gnome, uh, excuse me, a Blazon that was huge. Yes. It's not just the length, but was what's going yeah, on. And we got a version of that uh, in with Carini, a more compact version, but where they're just like going to outer space, doing the Type 2 thing, but with intention and with patience telling a story and and that's really what hooked me this summer and really got me so amped and attuned for ac all that to bring us to the encore right so we get the yam at the end of set one which by the way i brought my mom on sunday night and for her to see uh the fans get a yam and and the elation and the you know just 
pure joy that came over, you know, 30,000 people. It was just cool for her to see and kind of give her an understanding of what the passion is all about. But then that's even turned up to 10 when you get a fluffhead encore. Oh. A fluffhead encore at the end of a historic tour with the COVID cloud over us and all that. Um, I could have left it on the table, uh, the, the number line. There's, there's a lot of discussion going on and I don't want to get all like heated about it. But for me, I really felt like you could have just played the fluffhead. Yeah, they I mean, wanted to play the number line. Of course, uh, you know, you, more songs is, you know, better, I guess. But you know what? I, I got my own love-hate relationship with Numberline as is, and this has nothing to do with that, but almost as a respect to Fluffhead. Like, you know, like, this is the ultimate quintessential fish song. Bang, thank you, good night. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, there's some threads on Twitter, uh, you know, somebody had passed away, and their favorite song was Numberline, and they had spread their ashes yeah. that night. So those people were... On the moon when they did the number line. Our good buddy Joe D really appreciated the number line. Like so there are plenty of fans that loved it and wanted to hear it and are appreciative of it. And I'm not hating. No, but I feel like like a standalone fluff encore is the highest bar and the deepest bow. Yeah, no, I thought it would have been uh but it's fine. It's in it's in it's it's in uh but yeah, I I, uh I was uh surprised by a second tune, even if no matter what it would have been. Yeah. Number line or my soul. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. But, and and I'd be remiss if we didn't at least, you know, have to touch on it a little bit, which was that, uh, you know, I was pretty terrified. I'm vaccinated. I wore a mask. Uh, you had a more laissez-faire attitude about it, but you obviously are vaccinated and, you know, you're not. I we, wore, we have the same yeah. uh, view of COVID and respect and fear and so forth. But uh, you were able. Well, fear might be maybe not the fear. Too okay. far of a word. Okay, I have the fear. <laughs> I um, fear. I fear about eight blocks down in my neighborhood. I, that's well, yeah, I that's mean. a different kind of fear. But how did you feel in general going to shows? Um, you went to going, Guns N' Roses. Yeah, and you went to fish. I wore, uh, so I wore a mask like on my way in, and uh, until I got to like a settled spot, and then whatever. You know, right. I felt like I was in a comfortable zone. You know, sometimes I put it back on for situations that were necessary. Right. Right. And. Do you think that you were kind of the average fan? Do you think the average fan did less, did more? Well, um, as the concert season was progressing for me, uh, it seemed like more and more masks. There was, uh, you know, very few masks at Guns N' Roses Hershey. There was some more masks at Guns N' Roses North Jersey. Jersey, one of the better states uh, in the COVID yep. uh, Numbers. score game, whatever it right. is. Um, and then... Uh, Hershey Fish, some mass. Hershey AC, a little bit more mass than her uh, than Hershey in AC. Okay. So yeah. it seemed like I saw... But you know what? It, there was also more people. But, you know, percentage-wise, it seemed like I felt there was more mass. And we got a couple of different protocols, you know, in that, like, 72-hour range. Yeah, we did. We did. And there's been some changes. And they're going to be asking for vaccination status or testing and so forth. And... It's already proved to be a little bit divisive in the community. I sure hope that we don't get bogged down in the culture wars in the fish community. Anyone who wants to sell their uh, Vegas ticket, I'm all good. I'll take it. (laughs) Yep. You heard it here first. J.A. needs Vegas. I could Uh, use two, possibly a third. There you go. 
<laughs> well, you know, we just hope that the shows go on safely with whatever precautions are necessary. I just want to see the community stick together. There's already so much division in this country. Yeah, no, we're good. Are we? Yeah, we're, I mean, the fish community. But are we? I'm asking you. Yeah. I'm not saying we're not. Yeah, yeah no, I don't, I don't feel... You feel good about it. I feel that these kids, uh, even if they're unvaccinated, they'll, they'll, they'll get whatever they need to do to get to the concert. That's... They care That's more about That's what concerns fish. me. Whatever they need to do. That could be a fake COVID card or whatever. Not everybody in the building is going to be vaccinated. I know that. I mean, they can't be. A lot of people yeah. simply can't do it. Some people choose not to do it. You know, this isn't a political show. And, and the vaccination shouldn't be political, but it's become that. I just don't want to see us get bogged down in the culture wars. I was a little bit uh, surprised that, that, you know, panic kind of was first with the whole change in protocols and, and fish kind of a little late to the party. I think it's all dependent on the promoters and who you're working with and what your venues are. It's, it's way bigger than the bands and what have you management. Good point. Good point. Yeah. It is bigger than fish the fish is playing these venues that are humongous venues, you know, right. It's a whole different level. What, what does your spidey sense tell you about the fall shows go on? I hope so. Well, we uh, all hope so, but what do you feel? I, I, I honestly, I have no idea. I mean, this is like this I, I, uncharted I hate, territory. I, yeah, I hate to sound like uh, not you know. I should make up something and give us some entertainment for the podcast. No, know? no, no, Just no. But yeah, know. like you know, who's to say what? You know, like there's just so many uh, variations of what happened and continues to go on. That that's a valid point and nobody knows what's going to happen and of course you're not in the business of making predictions i think they can look at what just happened in the summer and you know they came out and said Lollapalooza did not turn out to right. be a super, super spreading event uh it's a lot different than when we were going to events unvaccinated you know like obviously there was very few of those right. type events but yeah the numbers show it that uh there's going to be less transmission it's not a guarantee. Nothing's right. a guarantee in life except uh, death and <clears throat> death. Yeah, not even taxes. Yeah, just death. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, there. You know, it's no secret there were a number of cases on the tour. Hopefully, you know, it ends up being a minuscule percentage. People get better, and we can, you know. Well, the one thing you can guarantee is change or count on is change. Of course, yeah, <laughs> of course. Now, as I'm sitting here in your awesome apartment, oh, looking at your amazing nice. poster collection and wrestling uh, memorabilia and a million fucking vinyl records, uh, it makes me kind of want to shift gears for a second. We've talked a lot of fish. We've talked COVID. We've talked venues. We kind of touched on GNR, but as you know, I was a huge GNR fan my whole life, seen them in concert a handful of times, but not nearly as much as you. And we talked about how much you love fish because of the the set list switching. And uh, it was so much more than no, no. Set. I'm, I'm going to give you know the set list switching and it's a hang the of it. Yeah, and the community, the music, yeah. the story, the travel, the posters, all that. Okay, Guns and Roses is a different beast entirely. They play pretty much the same show same every night. Same exact show right? every night. Same show okay. at this point right now. And you've like seen the comeback Duff slash Axel version of this band, what, maybe 10 times since 2016? Probably like eight or nine. Yeah, probably okay. close to that. So 
help me understand because I've only seen the reunion tour once at, at the uh, where the Giants play baseball in San Francisco. What keeps you coming back to GNR like it's, you do fish? Well, Guns, Guns N' Roses is in my top five. And by top five, meaning like I have five favorite bands, like probably like, you know, I can't say one's better than the other. Be like, uh, I'm going to give them to you. Bruce, Stones, Fish, Guns, Guns, Bon Jovi. Guns Dead. Dead, dead over Bon Jovi? Dead's like my all-time. Like, okay. Yeah, I know you love the dead, but I, I could have sworn JBJ and Richie would be in I'd, there. S- I'd say the Grateful Dead is probably the greatest American rock band of all time. Oh, I down. would agree. No, no yeah. doubt. And Metallica might even be number two, and they both have to be from like a, the same neighborhood. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. It's kind of weird. San Francisco. Though, so it must be good in that water. <laughs> or the weed or something. Yeah. So, but, so yeah, what, the, about, what about Guns? What about Guns in 2021? Well, Guns N' Roses is my band. Like, I, I love Axel. I want to... I, I, it doesn't matter if he's singing with the uh, hired Guns N' Roses members or if he's singing with his old pals, you know, who wrote Appetite. I love watching him sing. It's probably the same thing as people that used to go see Sinatra hundreds of times. And just, I right. love watching him perform. Um, I grew up, I saw the whole story... Uh, whether it was like his heyday when he became uh, bougie and had a, the same guru as Latoya Jackson, and <laughs> you know, to the now he's like the elder statesman and shows up on time and puts on a great show. I mean, gets political on yeah, Twitter. He's just you know, how's I, he sound? How does Axel sound? Because that voice, it's a tough one. So, you know, I think he could I think he could help himself by, like, he comes from this old school where he has to play, like, two and a half hours is a slow show, you know? Right. Like, he plays like, close to three hours every night. I think he cuts the show down to 90 minutes, to somewhere in the 90-minute, two-hour range. He can give you a stronger performance with his voice. He's 59 years old, and nobody looks like... And sings like they did in 1987. Right. Especially his singing style, because it's, it's rough on the vocal cords. And so unique. Violent. Yeah. It's violent. Yeah, but I'm like, when I'm saying unique, like... No one sounds like, like Yeah, and people are always going to be like, you know, it wasn't... Eh, right. But, you know, it also isn't, you know, so... I mean, I love Axel. You know, it's been amazing to see his growth as a human, as as like a figure in society and the culture. He was like, you know, a heel, a bad guy for a long time. Even though we loved him, you know, we yeah. couldn't necessarily agree with a lot of the stuff he said or did, but we loved him in spite of that. But when you look back on it and then you really get a grasp of what happens, like, you know, because like when you go from like appetite to use your illusion to you, uh, you and I, it felt like eternity. But for him, it was actually just a couple years of his life in his early 20s. And, you know, this guy went from, like, a very crazy childhood to one of the most recognizable people on the planet. Like, Michael Jackson competitive status at that time. So, once again, you know, another guy who's had a crazy life. You don't know what it's like to be put under that microscope until you're there. And you don't know what's going to happen. And... Yeah, he, he definitely did some wacky and crazy things, but he you know he learned how to deal with it. It took him time, but he's he's way awesome now. I mean, there's only one GNR. There's only one Axl Rose. It's the greatest record of all time, Appetite for Destruction. I don't know if you guys have ever heard it. Go purchase yourself a copy. I've gotten it about 13 times. Yeah, I would say it's the greatest debut record. It's the greatest record of all time. 
What is the song that really, uh, not so much on Appetite, but when you go see Guns N' Roses, is there, what's their fluff head? Um, November well, Rain? Dead Horse. I mean. Oh, really? Well, no, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was uh, thinking of a song that came back to the set list. That's um, like a sloth, right? Dead Horse is like a, them doing slo- fish playing But sloth. yeah, no, uh, definitely November Rain is like a huge, as a matter of fact, in New York, uh, so we talk about how the set list doesn't change, but like if Axel does something just a little bit different, it's a huge deal in the Guns <laughs> N' Roses community. So he starts, you know, he gets his piano, they bring his piano to him. So he starts singing, you, you got what I need. Oh, wow. You say she's just a friend and he's just like laughing, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Then bang, right into the beginning of November rain, the piano, the blah, blah, blah. And then right before the breakdown, the do 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 he goes, you, you got what I need. And, you know, that shows you that this is loose Axl Rose. He's having a great time. He's in New York City and, you know, uh, paying what, you know, as a fan at that, you know, at that point in the show, assuming that he's paying some kind of, you know, respect. Yeah. And then bang, blah, 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 they finish November Rain, you know, the huge finish, dun, 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 and then, like, back again. You, <laughs> you got what I need. You say he's, and then, you know, it, so it was just like, you know, so you knew how, whatever. So obviously Axel's paying tribute to Biz Marquis. Right. Now he goes into a story. Like, it's like, holy toilet. I mean, okay, so While here he's you go. sitting at the piano? So how about this? It's just as exciting to get a story from Axl Rose during a concert as it is to get the Mockingbird or the Harpua. Wow. <clears throat> because it doesn't happen. And when it happens, he's either going to talk shit to a tech or we're going <laughs> to get story like, <clears throat> I never hung out with Biz Marquis, but one time I was in my limo or something, I forget exactly what he said, and he was walking by and he looked down at me and he goes, nice car, man. And he's like, I knew he knew. (laughs) And so, like, just to hear Axel, you know, because he's so, you just don't know too much about him. Like, you know, you haven't heard, you know, like, he he doesn't do too many interviews. You you know, you never know who he hung with, you know. But they both blew up in that same late 80s time where, where, you know, hip-hop was kind of just becoming, like, macro huge. And Bismarck, he had that major song. And... Guns N' Roses, you know, Sweet Child of Mine, same time, you know, so I, I'm sure that and Axel exactly, looks at Bismarck, he's sort of like a, a peer from the era. And exactly what you just said, even though, like, he's not playing, wasn't playing stadiums or anything at the end of his career, Bismarck, rocket shipped into such an elite status of stardom that only a few people can really, you know, sit at a table and talk right. to each other about you know, you know, Biz might not have been there for a decade, but the just being there for a year, not being able to walk around New York City without, you know, just, Mom. you know, it's such a different world that these people, you know, blah, 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 Existing. go through. Yeah. yeah. Nuts. And, and Biz was, you know, right there. And I mean, he could still, you know, go anywhere and get recognized 10 times. Maybe not like 87. Yeah, yeah, no. It, and, and honestly, I would say that more people can sing... Uh, just a friend, then maybe even a sweet child of mine. 
That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, a one-hit wonder, or, but he wasn't a one-hit wonder. It's totally right. But case. he had one huge yeah. super mega hit. I mean, it, like, people on Mars sing that song. Right, It's exactly. like insane. Exactly. Yeah. And that's cool that Axel... And people on Mars are singing Child. <laughs> <laughs> but that's cool that Axel, you know, he's not yeah. too self-important to take no, a moment. No, there's been, like, once again, like, anytime something that like, comes out about him, like, it's, like, huge news in the Guns N' Roses community. So I remember, like, reading things, like, during the democracy or about some, like, New music that he was listening to, so he he knows everything that's going. He's painted, you know. It, it seems like he knows what's going on in the music scene. There's more crossover between the fish and guns thing than you would think. Obviously, Christy from S- Surrender to the Flow, huge Guns fan, flew right to Dicks. This dude on Twitter, fish fish guy on Twitter, Chopaganda, also tweeting about uh, guns right after fish. So. You know, you're not alone, Jason. Well, there anyone are... who pays attention to my uh, TikTok, which I'm starting to get some pretty good celebrity status, I don't want to toot my own horn. Where on. can people find you on, on TikTok? TikTok? I'm the Rock and Wrestling Connection Pod, I think, or Rock and Wrestling Connection Podcast, but I'm pretty sure it's Rock and Wrestling Connection Pod. Anywho, I told a story about the Guns N' Roses, how they just played this song called Absurd. For the first time since 2004, but in 2004, it was called Silk Worms and evolved into this new version of Absurd, like Black Eyed Katie from Fish, you know, which turned into the Mama Dance. Yeah. So, therefore, you know, I made that little comparison on my TikTok. It's, it's, it's a legitimate parallel. Yeah. They were once one song yeah. evolved into another. Yeah, and now it's going to well, be a well, version I like stick with it. the lyric list. Black Eyed Katie, a little more than MoMA. What do you like better, Silkworms or Absurd? Well, Slash is on Absurd, so we got to give... Was Bucket on Silkworms? Um, I, Who knows? Yeah, right? I'll have to, <laughs> you know, it's a demo. It's not even, right. you know, we never got the original gut. Right. There's only 14 guitar players on that record, and that's not an exaggeration. <laughs> what, that's one last thing I want to ask you about. Uh Slash and Duff playing on the Chinese Democracy tunes. Duff McKagan crushes that bass. I I mean, he's such a great player. It's it's so amazing to hear someone play a bass note that you've heard him play for 30 years and still make it sound fresh. Like yeah. it's like you've heard it the first time. He's he's an incredible player and Slash is the goat. I yeah. mean, it's beyond. That's what all the word is about this tour is that Slash is on some well, shit. Well, I said the first night we saw him, because I don't like to talk about this, but yes, Guns N' Roses, for the first time ever, I mean, I've been seeing them for 30 years, the first time ever, metal bands and rock bands have done this a lot. And he's, they're, they're, they're definitely playing it a half step slower and tune down. down a little bit. For Axel. It says the theory is to make the voice sound a little bit stronger, but Slash is becoming such an MVP because he's got to throw in so many notes. Like he's making all these jam band kids like sweat because if he wants to join the field, buddy, watch yeah, out. That's he's, what I'm saying. On oh, oh, it's insane. The first night after Hershey, the opening night of the tour, I was like, this dude would crush it in a jam band. He's covering so much weight on this tour. Oh, man. I'm probably going to have to find my way to uh, one of those September shows, you know. And who knows? I don't know when the next time I'm going to see Fish. I hope the next time you see Fish is uh, out there in Vegas. 
But uh, this is going to come out. This podcast come out right around uh, the gorge in Tahoe and Dicks. So if the gorge happens, if it happens, you know, if any of it happens, good luck. Good so, luck. Well, speaking of man, I want to thank you for coming on the oh, show. It's an honor. Thank you. You know, the uh, pleasure's mine. You know, check out Jason on the Rock and Wrestling Connection podcast. I went on a couple weeks ago to talk about rock and roll and pro wrestling heels, the bad guys of both. But you know, whatever episode... It was amazing how many bad guys there are in the music business. I know. I guess crazy. The, the Me Too movement helped that out. That sure did, <laughs> among other things. And politics. And you name it. But I love Jason's pod. It's a healthy mix Thank of you. both. Oh. It's, it's super uh, entertaining. And TikTok. Rock and Wrestling Connection Pod. You heard him. Check him out on TikTok. He does these little minute updates. There's some great fish content on there as well. And yeah, Jason... Thanks you're, again. You're a dear friend. Always you're the fun. man. Thanks for having me over. Thanks for coming on the pod. And uh, we'll do it again down the road. Absolutely. Peace and love. Peace and love. to say big up yourself ja jason abrams rock and wrestling connection podcast and on tiktok rock and wrestling connection pod ja is the man i hope he keeps coming on the show for many years to come because uh you know he got me started doing this thing calling in and co-hosting the jason abrams show back when he was in college uh, late 90s so will it go round in circles and we're gonna uh, wrap things up on episode 48 like we always do about this time with the vibe junkie jam and a few weeks ago for the 23rd anniversary of this performance uh, I revisited uh, an entry from the farmer's almanac which is a book that uh, was an annual uh, almanac, sort of encyclopedia of sorts of the fish from Vermont, uh, different song breakdowns and set lists and reviews and stories, etc. And one performance and one entry really sticks with me. Never more so than this year when one of my dear friends, Benny, Benny Dread, Benjamin Kennedy, uh, sadly took his own life and uh, hung himself back in late April or early May and yeah still wrestling with that grief and then the anniversary of the Smashing Pumpkins cover Rhinoceros which opened a show at Deer Creek Back in the summer of 98. And I was once again overwhelmed with the feels and the grief and the nostalgia for a number of losses that have transpired this year and that continue to 
haunt me and many of us in various ways. So I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but to me, this is the ultimate uh, tribute, testament, nod, and loving gesture and gift from the band to an audience member. So to wrap things up today for the Vibe Junkie Jam, we're going to do the Rhinoceros from August 3rd, 1998 in Deer Creek. But before we hear that, you're going to hear this entry from Kevin Castles, the former uh, editor of the Farmer's Almanac. So I'll be reading in his first person. August 3rd, 1998. Quote, I've always had a strange feeling that fish was much greater than the sum of its parts. A spiritual vehicle, if you will. When you experience those peak moments, a lot of thought goes into the whole concept of fish in general. Such as why they are so important to us. If you enjoy fish for the right reasons, they seem like members of your own family. That's why I get so discouraged when I hear fans going astray because they saw two mediocre shows in a row or they didn't get to a Lushington encore. If your mother's being a pain in the butt, do you disown her? Or do you stick by her side through thick and thin? Fish is family. Even at their worst, they are better than any other live act in the country. Fish becomes a family situation of greater proportions when you go on tour. Friends become part of the whole concept, as do memories on tour with those very friends. In 1996, I began taking my brother Phil to fish shows. He was already into the band, but it was difficult to get him out of the house. My brother was very depressed about life. What, in general, I don't know. But I know we all felt helpless trying to aid the poor guy. It was like pulling teeth to get him agree to come to Clifford Ball. But once we were there, I knew it was the cure he had been waiting for. There we sat on a hill overlooking the sunset taking in the last few moments of a brutal Bowie jam. A few more shows followed, but by 97, he'd quit going. In fact, he'd quit doing most of anything by that point, deeply depressed. He took his own life on October 5, 1997. While I was at a friend's house playing music, he drove his truck to the top of a mountain and hung himself at sunset with nothing but a pack of cigarettes and a Smashing Pumpkins album in the truck's tape player. I needed Fish's music more than ever after a blow like this. It seemed the only place to get away from all the madness was somewhere deep within a fish jam. The Hampton 97 Slave, perhaps, or the 5385 Eyes masterpiece. As with all tragedies, you, you never get over it. You just learn to live with it. For several months, I bottled up quite a bit of anger, quite a bit of pain, and a lot of self-depression. A move that was very dangerous in hindsight, putting my own mental health at risk. I kept seeing fish and just about every song jerked a tear or two, but I always held back. The only other person I knew held such emotional affinity towards a band was Phil. The way he felt about Smashing Pumpkins was paralleled only by my affection for fish. As he depended on the music, learned from it, and used it as medicine or a drug in times of need. It was the last thing he ever listened to, the last song being Rhinoceros, a heartfelt epic with poignant lyrics and a powerful message. 
For some reason, he chose this as the last song he wanted to hear before he turned his back on the world. As time went on and I began to actually understand that Phil was never coming back, my habit for holding my feelings in just increased, thus thrusting myself into my own mild wave of depression. Luckily, my wonderful girlfriend and I were weeks away from Fish's 1998 Deer Creek shows, where I assured myself everything would be better. The first night, I again felt a very strong connection with the boys, as they were a lot like my brother when, he was, when they were kids. Shy, self-conscious, and out of place. I held back tears for Life Boy in an effort to avoid any pain I may have been feeling, lying to myself in order to stay happy. The next night, I expected a nice NICU opener, or maybe a surprise Golgi. Something exciting to dance to. But instead, I heard feedback. A little puzzled, I began to hear a familiar tune, but I couldn't put my finger on it. Neither could the audience. Then my stomach dropped. It was the Smashing Pumpkins Rhinoceros. Obviously, I broke down in an embarrassing display of tears and emotion, literally sobbing uncontrollably and making a scene. And it was exactly what I needed. Pure therapy and cleansing by way of the band, through the words of my brother, who I know was using fish to speak to me that night. It was his way of saying, I'm okay. Trey had a very, very prophetic look in his eye that spooked me to no end for the entire song as if he knew what he was doing to me. As the song ended, I sat down and tried to gather myself. Though moments ago I was sobbing with sadness, suddenly I felt brand new, like a new me had been constructed to go forward from this day on. So then came Haley's, the happiest fish song of them all. The new me stood up and danced like a madman, with an ear-to-ear -ear grin in a pure state of natural ecstasy. Not only was everything going to be okay, but I was now content, and at a state of closure with my brother's death, probably because he spoke through fish and assured me he was alright. That's the point where I knew that I would always give fish my undying love and support no matter what struggles they might go through. After all, they need us just as much as we need them. Mistakes and all. Kevin Castles Never fails to just tear at the heartstrings. What a tale, what a band, what a community. Life beyond a dream indeed. So that one and this one is for you, Benny. Benny Dread. We love you. We miss you so. We miss Chris Zegers. Uh, so many of our dearly departed. So this rhinoceros is for everybody who's left us prematurely. And we'll see you on the other side. Episode 48, the Upful Life Podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz. Goodbye, job bless, and we'll see you next time. Yes, indeedy. <laughs>